a little bit of a dreary. Sun come out outside yet? Did the sun come out? That was a question. No, not yet. Okay. I haven't been outside since early this morning when it was raining, so I was just wondering if the sun came out this morning. So, um, It is good to have you here with us uh, in worship this morning. A few weeks ago, I was out riding my bike, and it had uh, rained the night before, and um, so I don't usually go out when the roads are wet, just because I'm not sure how, I'm not that uh, confident of a rider and know how I would handle that. But um, I checked out the window, and the roads appeared dry, and so I thought, okay, I'll go head out and ride. And I noticed there was a few spots where the trees were over the road, where that, those, those parts of the road were still a little bit wet. But um, I rode about, uh, about nine miles without a problem, and I assumed I was going to have no issues and the rest of my ride. And so I was coming down Weaver Road, the backside of the golf course there, and around past the entrance of Henry Shine, and I had, um, I had come to believe that I was going to be okay, that I was going to be fine, that I was going to have no problems. And uh, what I did not realize is I was about to go across a metal grate bridge. And when a metal grate bridge gets wet, um, it's a different ball game. And so I was coming down the hill going about 20 miles an hour or so, and I slowed down to come around the corner, and I hit that bridge just like I have a dozen other times, and all of a sudden it felt like they had frozen the bridge and it was a sheet of ice. And um, by now I was doing about 15 miles an hour, and I felt the front tires start to slide, and then I started to feel the back tires try to slide, and I didn't know what was going to happen. All I could envision was a face plant in the metal grate bridge and my glasses falling through the grate into the creek below and, you know, crashing my bike. And fortunately, I didn't try to hit my brakes. I just glided and was able to keep that front tire straight enough that I was able to make it across the other side of the bridge. But I can tell you my heart did not stop pounding until I got the rest of the way home from that ride. Um, I have been I've been seduced into believing that I was going to be okay, and I wasn't prepared for the situation that surprised me. And what surprised me, it could have been a pretty serious um, accident that was there in front of me. And this morning, we're going to look at some things that seduce us, some things that we're not expecting, some things that surprise us, and when they do, they set us up for real serious harm that often we're blinded by. Over the last few weeks, we've been in this series entitled Soul Detox, and this statement we've been saying over and over again each week, let's say it again together, it, it says, we are not a body with a soul, we are a soul with a body. And we're using that statement as really the basis for our series to remind us that the bodies we are in will one day come to an end of function. They will one day die, and those bodies will no longer exist. Now, while we're here and while we have the opportunity and can, we should be taking care of the bodies that God has given to us. The Bible describes your body as a temple, um, something you should care for. But what will live on forever is our soul, the eternal part of our being, our soul. And so uh, we've been talking these last few weeks about what does it look like to take care of of our soul. What does it look like to take care of our soul? And we talked about some conditions of the soul. We talked about a restless soul. We talked about a heavy soul. Um, we talked about a tortured soul. And this week we want to talk about a seduced soul. A seduced soul. Um, in the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments, very familiar, God says this, you should have no other gods before you. Very first commandment. You should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything, the heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below. Now, why do you think God gave, made that the first commandment? Why didn't God's first commandment say you should love God with everything you have, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why wasn't that first commandment? Why did God say don't let something else steal your heart? Don't let your love and affection be captured by something else. 
The reason for that is that we are designed to worship. Worship is not something we do. We are designed to worship. Every person alive worships someone or something. The question is, who or what is it you worship? And the reason we are often so consumed by busyness and things that we're consuming our lives is because of this emptiness that we feel, because of this urge and this desire to worship, but we filled it with the wrong thing. A little bit later in the book of Deuteronomy, God gives the law a second time, um, and He says this, Don't corrupt yourselves by making an idol in the form in any form, whether a man or woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. When you look in the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the force of heaven, don't be, say it together, don't be what? Seduced into worshiping them. He gives this whole long list of things not to be seduced, you know, animals and birds and fish and then things in the sky, the sun, moon, and stars. And the truth is, the majority of you are probably not going to be worshiping a fish in the sea. Um, probably not an animal on the land, although you may have a head mounted in your house somewhere that you're kind of proud of, you know. Um, but most of you are probably not going to be worshiping a star in the sky. And because of that, this command not to worship any other idols is one that for people, especially in our Western culture, we can easily dismiss and set that aside and say, yeah, that's true. That we shouldn't do that, but I'm good on that one. I'm good on that one. And I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to just pause right now and in your mind say, God, help me to be open to an idol that might have crept into my life. Help me to be open to see an idol that might have crept into my life. Because idols don't take a front and center attack. They don't hit you between the eyes. You see the word there, seduced? Idols come around the backside. They sneak in when you're not looking. And they trap you. They trap you. That's what an idol does. And so my prayer for each one of us this morning is that we are have our hearts and our minds open to an idol that might have trapped us. You see, for most of you, it's not going to be a golden calf. It's not going to be a star in the sky or some figurine sitting on your mantle. But that's what makes it even more dangerous because you don't recognize it because it slowly seduces you. You know, most of you are probably not going to have one of these sitting in your house somewhere like you might if you lived in the country of India. Um, but what are the idols that we have what are the idols that we have? What are the things that are good things that we enjoy that have become idols in our lives? Um, here's one. How about food? We have a lot of food. You know that? Everywhere you go, there's a lot of food. We have a lot of restaurants. You go to any outing. Every outing I've ever been to, they never run out of food. They have enough food to feed like three times as many people there, you know? That's what we do. We just have lots and lots and lots of food. And, and one could easily wonder, do these people just worship food? Is that all they ever think about? Isn't it time to eat again? Sorry for those of you that didn't get breakfast this morning. You know, but, um, Here's another one. What about our sports fans? You know, Think about how many people go to stadiums every year. Millions and millions of fans. Millions and millions of of dollars um, at what? The idol of sports. 
Now, is sports a bad thing? No, there's something that we can enjoy. There's something that can keep our body healthy and fit. There's something that we can have a good time cheering for our favorite team. But can sports become an idol? Yes or no? Yes or no? Let me say something, even if you disagree. Um, and I put the Phillies up there for you Phillies fans, you know. And there's other things, you know. There's media, there's sports, uh, there's uh, TV stars, there's uh, recording artists. You know, every person that comes on America's Got Talent, they ask them, why are you here? You know, they want to be famous, they want to be known. It's almost become something that we fall down at the altar of. And see, the problem with these things is there's food and sports and and media, is all, are all those things bad? No, those things are not bad. What happens is when something good gets elevated to being something that is supreme. When something good becomes elevated to something that's supreme. The verse that we looked at last week was Mark 8.36 where Jesus said, What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world but lose his own what? Soul. Soul. We're talking about the soul. We're talking about things that seduce and deceive our souls. And so how do you detox a seduced soul? How do you detox a seduced soul? Well, the first thing you have to do is you've got to identify the idols of your soul. Identify the idols of your soul. You can't move something off the throne of your soul if you don't know what's there. David said this in the Psalms. He said, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hearts and a pure clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol. You see, an idol is something that we put our trust in, that we put our confidence in, that we put our hope in. And God says, I don't want you putting your trust in anything except for me. In anything except for me. I don't want you putting your trust and confidence in your intelligence, in your finances, in that other person in your life, in your intelligence. I want you to put your confidence in me. And so what are these idols? What are these idols? I want to give us three words for us to think about to maybe try to identify what these idols are. Three words are time, money, and conversation. Time, money, and conversation. So let me ask you this question. What gets the focus of your time? What gets the focus of your time? There's certain things that time requires, right? We need time to sleep, time to eat, time to take care of ourselves, time to go to work. But what do you do with the rest of your time? What do you do with the rest of your time? Um, how much time do you spend working out? Can working out become an idol? Yes or no? Can, can it, yeah. Um, can working too much make work an idol? Yes or no? Can, can. How about sitting at your kids' sports practices and games? Can that become an idol? A few less heads nodding on that one, right? Starting to get a little personal. Um, how about how much time you spend watching Netflix? Can that become an idol? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so where do you spend your time? What takes up your time? What consumes your time when you're not doing the things that you're doing? That's one way to identify what an idol is in your life. Here's another one. How about your money? Where's your money going? Where's your money going? Jesus said that where your money is, that's where your what? Your heart is, right? Your heart is. So once you pay for the things that you have to pay for, where does the rest of your money go? Can a hobby become an idol? Yeah, a hobby can become an idol. How about that cabin in the woods? Can that become an idol? 
The wise are all saying yes. Yeah. Um, how about how much money you put away for retirement? Can that become an idol? Sure. What do you want? You want safety. You want security. You want to be taken care of. You see, when you start to press into this, and this is feeling uncomfortable, trust me, it's not easy to be willing to be honest and say, God, has something seduced my soul? Has something captured my soul? But your time and money and lastly your conversation, what do you talk about? What do you talk about? What do you talk about with your family? What do you talk about with your friends? Talk about your, your kids, your favorite artists, your favorite sports team, you know? You complain. It's all you do is complain. Maybe that's what you talk about. You're just a complainer, you know? Um, you talk about work. What do you talk about? Let me ask you this question. Does your conversation drift towards God? Does your conversation, no matter who you're talking with, does it drift towards God? Because it always drifts towards what is important to you. It always drifts towards what is important to you. I was having a conversation with someone at the football game the other day, and, and I asked them how their, how their kid's doing. And the first thing they started to tell me about was how their kid was doing in the sport that they were playing. And guess what's most important to that individual? How their kid's doing in the sport that they were playing. Later they told me about their classwork and other things, but that's what's most important. That's what's most important. And the truth is, the danger is, is that we can be seduced into believing something is important and put too much time and effort into it, and it becomes an idol into, in our lives. We can be seduced into believing, into worshiping our home. You know, that when someone comes in, it has to be just right, and the lawn has to be just so, and I have to have everything looking perfectly, and we can be seduced and pour time and money into our homes. We can be seduced into worshiping our image, our image making sure you got the right piercings, you know, and making sure you got the outfit that it looks right, you know, and, and, and uh, of course the brands, you can't mix and match brands, you gotta, can't mix and match, you got to have the right brands, you know. And so maybe what we're paying attention to is our image, and our image is what's most important to us. And that becomes an idol that we worship. Here's another one. You can be seduced into worshiping being debt-free. Being debt-free. Now, is paying off our bills, is paying our bills important? Absolutely. Is paying off debt a good thing? Absolutely. But I know some people that paying that mortgage off is the thing that matters most to them in life. Every penny, every cent is put towards that, with that being their number one goal, the thing that matters more than anything else, and it's become an idol in their lives. How about seduced into making your kids successful? You know, they've got to play this sport and they've got to get on this team because if they do that, then they'll get a scholarship. And they get a scholarship, then they'll be able to be successful because you weren't as successful as they were. And so we easily fall into worshiping them. How about this? How about, could, is it possible for our online identity to be an idol? Is that possible? I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you have posted something on Facebook and then checked it to see how many comments are there? Or, how many of you know how many Instagram followers you have, you know? Oh, did they see it? Did they comment? Did they see it, you know? Our online identity can quickly become an idol. Um, how about this thing, you know? We're really good at this, right? Really good at scrolling. Really good at using that thumb to type. Really good at using that text to text. Can this thing become an idol? Absolutely can. It absolutely can. 
You know, the amazing thing is, is the culture, the culture is recognizing things that are becoming idols. This word idol never, got, never was used in the secular culture, in the secular counseling world for many, many years. It was never used. That was always just in the church community. But now the secular world, the secular counseling community, even the secular media is starting to use the word idols. Let me illustrate that by a couple, a couple popular TV shows. Here's one, House of Cards. The idol there is power. The conniving politician Frank Underwood says, everything is about sex. Sex is about power. And he schemes and sleeps his way through Washington, moving from the Democratic majority whip to the vice president to the presidency. Here's another one, Mad Men, idolizes success. Advertising man Don Draper, who invents and reinvents himself throughout the series. Success comes from standing out, not fitting in. Unfortunately, his standing out does terrible damage to his family, friends, and colleagues. Here's one more. The Emmy award-winning drama Breaking Bad is about a family. After being diagnosed with cancer, the chemistry teacher Walter White builds a drug empire on the belief that he needs to provide for his wife and kids. But even a good thing can cause death and destruction once it becomes an idol. At one point, his wife says, someone has to protect this family from the man who protects his family. So when does something good become something ultimate and take the place of God in your life? Maybe as I've been talking to you this morning, something's popped in your head. You know, you know what your idol is. You know what it is. If you're not sure, I challenge you to ask a couple people that know you well. Ask your spouse, what do I always talk about? Parents, ask your kids. What do I always talk about? Ask a trusted friend. Does my conversation ever drift towards God? These idols are subtle. They are subtle. And they're even in the realm of faith as well. I realized a few years ago that the church growing had become an idol for me. You say, how does the church growing become an idol? It was what mattered most to me. And God had to hit me right between the eyes and say, John, what I want you to do is I want you to love and care for the people that I've entrusted to you. And that may never grow. That may be all who I've given you to, to take care of. And I realized it had become an idol in my life. Sometimes the idols are not physical things you can touch and feel. Sometimes they're things that go on in our minds. An idol for me was the fact that I didn't ever want to make anybody angry. I saw a lot of explosive anger when I was a kid. And so one of my relating patterns was don't make anybody angry. And so I never rocked the boat. I never pushed hard. I never challenged people with things because that was an idol for me is to keep everybody happy so that I would have relationships. Maybe your idol is pursuing peace, which is really a false peace. Maybe it's influence. Maybe it's power or significance. But what are the steps, what are these idols that are in your life. Once you identify the idol, then you have to do something with it. You have to do something with it. And God doesn't say to relocate the idols into another room in the house. God doesn't say that um, you can just maybe set some of them aside. God doesn't tell you to manage your idols. God says this. God says, I want you to tear down those idols. God says, I want you to tear down those idols. God never gives us an easy step to take when it comes to following him, does he? He never does. He never does. God says, I want this to be all or nothing. Either you're in or you're out. You can't be in halfway. You're the in or out. And you can't toy with an idol. It's like having a rattlesnake and say, it's, 
it's just making a noise. It's really not going to harm me when it could kill you. It could kill you. We looked at the story a few weeks ago, earlier this summer, of Gideon. And God's instructions to Gideon in Judges chapter 6 were this, to take down your father's idols and cut down the pole beside it. God didn't say to Gideon, Gideon, why don't you take that down and why don't you store it in the back room and then maybe you can sell it on eBay and then you can make some money and then you can give that money to the temple. That's not what God said to Gideon, was it? He said, I want you to cut it down, tear it down, and what? Burn it up. Burn it up. This makes us uncomfortable. Makes us uncomfortable. I was like, what are you saying, John? What are you saying? What I'm suggesting is that if you are going to do something about these idols in your heart, you can't manage an idol. You have to tear down an idol. You cannot manage an idol. You have to tear it down. The kings of the people of Israel, many of these kings, they would tear down some of the idols where everybody lived, and then it always talks about these idols that would be up in the high places. You would have to go. They would never tear down the idols in the high places. And guess where everybody drifted? Back to the idols in the high places, and they eventually came back into the center of town. Every single time. God says you have to tear down the idols. You can't manage the idols. The danger is if you say, this is my thing and I really don't want to tear it down. This is my thing. I really don't want to tear it down. You say, John, what, what, what do you mean? What would that look like? What would that look like? You have to ask yourself some really hard questions. If your kid's sports and their success and their road to a scholarship has become an idol in your life, you've got to look at what you're trying to accomplish and what needs to be torn down. If your job is taken over because that's the means for you to give your family what you think they should have, what you never have, or to be able to afford the good things in life that they want, and that's consumed your life and your family, and you have no time for people and no time for relationships, you've got to ask yourself a really hard question. What would it look like to tear that idol down? If material things, if possessions, have taken over your soul... And all you talk about is the newest thing you've got, and you want to show it off to your friends and buddies, you want to use it. You've got to ask yourself the question, what would it take to tear this idol down? What did Jesus say to the guy who was seduced by his stuff? He said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus didn't say to the guy, why don't you sell it? And then you'll have a little bit more extra money. Or why don't you sell it and, you know, just sell some of it. Sell it and give it into the temple. No, he said, I want you to sell it all. And when we come to this passage, especially for, you know, as we're explaining this passage, it's easy to say, well, well Jesus didn't really mean explain it all. And to this guy, he did. That's exactly what Jesus meant. Because to this guy, his stuff was the idol that was wrapped around and had seduced his soul. And the guy knew it. And it says in the very next verse that he went away heartbroken because he knew he could not unwrap this thing that had its clutches around his soul. What would it look like for you to tear down those idols? What would it look like? You know, if social media is an idol, maybe you just need to 
eliminate all social media in your life. The students are having heart palpitations as I'm talking about that, you know. Maybe some of their parents as well, you know. Don't worry, people will still know you're alive. They'll still find you. They'll still call you, you know. You see, you've got to look at the things that have seduced your soul and say, what would it look like to get rid of them? You know, what would it look like for you to eliminate your TV and Netflix? What would it look like to get rid of it? Because it seduced your soul. You might pick up a book and read it or find something to do. You know? What would it look like for you to sell those season tickets because they've grabbed hold of your soul? Or get rid of that cabin in the woods that keeps you there every other weekend and so worship and faith and people in your life to say, I'm not going to let this thing take charge of my soul. What would it look like if you're successful in business but it doesn't allow you to be a father and a parent and a part of the lives of other people and you say, you know, I just need to get out of this job so I can work nine to five and be here to be a part of the lives of the people that God has placed with me. What would it look like to do that? What would it look like if one of your struggles, as we talked about last week, is pornography, and you knew that that smartphone was a doorway to that, and you said, you know what, I am going to tear this idol down, I'm getting rid of this, and I'm going to live with a dumb phone. What would it look like to do that? You know, what's the result when you tear something down, when you eliminate this thing that has captured your soul, all of a sudden you now have this space in your soul. This space in this vacuum that God has created in you where you have to worship something. You have to. You can't not worship. And now there's a vacuum there and God says, I want you to fill that with me. He says, I want you to fill that with me. And as you start to fill that vacuum with me, you're going to start to experience God in some ways you've never imagined experiencing God before. Jonah 2 Verse 8 says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from what? What does that phrase say it with me? Turn away from God's love for them. What was Jonah discovering? What was Jonah discovering? Jonah just didn't want to go and wipe out, pray that God would wipe out the, the enemy. And God says, Jonah, you need to get rid of this idol, this idol of control. This idol of you being the one to make this happen. The idol of my way. Because when you move that out, all of a sudden this vacuum opens up and you get to know that there's a God who loves you no matter what. Psalm 84, 2. My soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. He longed for God. Psalm 107, 9. He satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. You know, we fear if we push these things out of our lives, these things that have gone from good to being the ultimate things in our lives, that God's just going to make us live in bags and live on the street and not have anything. God says, no. I want to bless you with good things. I just don't want those good things to take over your life and to consume your soul. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, David says, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. talk about God in that way? If I'm honest, I don't. 
We don't talk about longing for God. But David did. There was something in the deepest part of his soul that longed for God more than anything else. And instead, we long for things, we long for money, we long for comfort. But we're not using the language that David's using. And if we're not using that language, then something is poisoning our soul. And it's an idol. It's an idol. Max Lucado tells a story and he says, if you took a fish out of the ocean and you put the fish on the beach and maybe you set it up with a nice beach chair and a nice umbrella, is, is that fish going to be happy, yes or no? No, the fish isn't going to be happy, right? Well, you want to make the fish happy and so you take the fish out off the beach and you, you get the fish a nice house and you get the fish a nice place to live and lots of money. Is the fish now going to be happy, yes or no? You can say it a little louder. I think we're all here together, you know. No, the fish is not going to be happy. So you give the fish a Corona and some Playfish magazines. Now is the fish going to be happy? No, the fish isn't going to be happy just by giving it beer and some naked fish to look at, you know? Why? Why is the fish not going to be happy on the beach in a house with a Corona? Why? Because the fish is made for what? Water. Water. Fish is made for water. And there's nothing you can do for that fish. There's no place you can take that fish. There's nowhere you can put that fish that it's ever going to be happy other than in the water because the fish is created for the water. And Paul in Romans 1 says that people, when they turn away from the Creator, they worship what? The created. The created. And they said, as long as your attention is focused on what is created and not the Creator, there's going to be this emptiness, this vacuum inside your soul that will never, ever be filled until you recognize and acknowledge there's nothing in this world, there's no one in this world that can fill my life like God can fill my life. Because He's made you to only be filled by Him. See, if your life is empty and nothing satisfies, it's because you were not created to be filled up by anything in this world. You were created and designed to be filled up and to be fully in love with and worshiping the Creator and His kingdom and His plan for our world and for our lives. And so it starts by identifying what are those idols? What are your idols? You say, John, I'm still not really clear on what those idols are. Still not really clear. Tim Keller says it this way in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, what one person or thing, if you lost them, you would lose the desire to live. That is a sobering thought. I don't like that question at all. Because there's people that I love deeply. I'm not sure what I would do if I lost one of them. The question is, do I love them? And I long for them more than I love God. I long for Him. What are those idols of your soul? Second of all, you've got to tear them down. 
you got to tear them down. you got to say, God, what is this going to look like for me to remove those idols from my soul, from my life? Not just to put them in the back closet, not just to, to move away half of them, not just to manage them. You cannot manage idols. They have got to be torn down. And then thirdly, fill your soul with God. Fill your soul with God. And as you fill your soul with God, you'll return to His overwhelming love. You'll remember His sacrifice because nothing and no one can be your Savior. Only Jesus can. And that's why the cross changes everything. Because nothing and no one can be your Savior. Only Jesus can. As we close this morning, just like we've done each week, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and just take a few moments. And um, if God's brought clear what these idols are, then I want to challenge you to just start saying, God, what do I have to do to tear this down? And if it's not clear, just I invite you to sit quietly and ask Him, what is it in your life that has taken the place of Him this morning? God, I pray for those who are listening today who know that other things, someone has taken first place in their lives. and Maybe, God, they've come to this place in their faith journey to say, you know, I, I don't want anything else to be there. I want to give my whole life to God. I'm ready. It's time to give it all to Him. Lord, may today be the day in which they say, Lord, I, I'm giving this all up. I'm ready to follow You. For others maybe who have, God, and, and in their life and their journey, they've lost that first love and other things that are good things have just slowly creeped in. Things that and people that are meaningful, that we love dearly. God, I pray that you'd help us to face the reality of some of those things becoming idols. God, help us not to sugarcoat this. Help us to call it what it is. Listen to those that know us well when they say, no, this is your idol. This is what matters most to you. And I say, God, how do I tear that down? God, give us that longing just like David had for you more than anything else, God. 
for you more than anything else. Help us to know and believe that nothing can save us. Only Jesus. God, we need your help. We can't tire these down and have you fill us up on our own. We need you. In your name I pray.